Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, I do have to say, I don't know why it took me um, officially being on the third episode of recording to discover this hack, but I am finally recording with a glass of rosé next to me. First two episodes, I don't know why this didn't occur to me to do. I just had water. I know, boring, right? Finally, I busted out the rosé. It's a beautiful one. She's got some legs. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Does Rosé have legs or is that red wine only? I really don't know. But, um, you know, if if I sound a little loose, loosier, goosier, loosey-goosey on this episode, that is why. And let's hope that it pays off because <laughs> in hindsight, this actually probably wasn't the right episode for me to just start drinking on because I do have... This is a pretty meaty topic we're going to get into. I'm breaking down the four most important components that I believe you need to have in order to have a successful short-term rental business. So when it comes to starting a short-term rental business, I always like to say that it's not easy, but it is simple. There are a lot of steps involved and it does take hard work, both physically and emotionally. The process can be very overwhelming when you've never done anything like it before. Now, before you panic and think to yourself, what the heck, Natalie, you are always preaching about how you can manage your Airbnb from hours away and you can still run it while on vacation or even when you're in the hospital after just giving birth. Don't worry, that is all still true. I am living proof that it is true. If you followed my birth story of my second daughter, you know that I didn't block off a single night in any of the eight listings I manage and I was still fully booked while recovering from emergency C-section. Setting up your listings to run without you is absolutely possible, but listen very clearly to what I'm about to say. The most challenging part of starting an Airbnb is not knowing what you don't know. I'm going to say that one more time. It's that important. The most challenging part of starting an Airbnb is not knowing what you don't know. Once you have the steps laid out for you and you know where to look, the rest becomes simple. Again, notice that I didn't say it becomes easy. Starting a short-term rental, especially your first one, is not going to be easy. But if you have the framework laid out for you, it is simple. It's just one foot in front of the other, following the steps until you've officially published your listing and welcomed your first guest And now you're able to repeat that process over and over and over again. So today, I want to talk about that framework. I want to cover the four different components that you must have a plan in place for in order to run a successful Airbnb business. Some of you listening to this are already running your first Airbnb or maybe your second, third, fourth. I don't know. You might have more listings than I do. 
I still want you to listen to this episode because this may just get you thinking again about that framework, maybe in the quick haste of setting up your first listing and then trying to scale, you brushed over a few of these steps. So I want you to still listen, even if you've already been hosting successfully for a while. If you are a beginner, definitely listen to this because I'm about to make your life so much easier by just breaking down the steps that you need to know so that this whole process becomes simple. So The four different components that you must have a plan in place for in order to run a successful Airbnb business are financials and numbers, the legal stuff like permits, taxes, LLCs, insurance, the design and making sure it's both beautiful and functional, and the logistics of how you'll manage it from cleaning to restocking to maintenance to repairs. To put it bluntly, without a plan in place for these four things, your Airbnb will either operate at a loss, get you into legal trouble, cause stress and burnout, or some combination of all of the above. The fact that you tuned into this podcast tells me that you do care about starting your short-term rental off on the right foot. So let's dive into what each of these entails so that you are setting yourself up for success. Let's start off with financials. How many of you have seen viral TikToks or Instagram reels or YouTube videos with catchy titles, something along the lines of, hey, look how much money I just made on my Airbnb this month. Maybe you've seen hosts posting payouts or just straight up telling you what they what they made and not even showing proof of it. Uh, maybe they're showing you payouts, uh, individual ones, or maybe they're showing you their monthly statement or their annual amount that Airbnb or Verbo or all of them has paid them out. I want you to stop right now. And if you have ever seen one of these posts and felt a little pang of jealousy, a little bit of envy, I want you to get rid of that right now. Because I am telling you from the other side, from being on the other side and being a host, most of these posts are garbage. I'm not saying that the person who posted it is lying about the number. In fact, in most cases, they're not. Because in most of these videos, I've seen that they do provide an actual screenshot of that payout. So they're not lying about the number they made. But what they are hiding is all of the expenses that went into making that gross earning possible. They are not showing you the mortgage, the utilities, the insurance, the permit fees, the cost of cleanings, the cost of maintenance, the cost of repairs. All that you get to see is that juicy, flashy number that sucks you into wanting to be an Airbnb host in the first place. Now, to some extent, I do think that this kind of content actually can be beneficial because If seeing a catchy reel or TikTok like that is what gets someone interested in hosting in the first place, I think that's great. Clearly, I love being a host. I love preaching about being a host. I love getting other people to start hosting. So if seeing something like that is what sucks you in and down the Airbnb rabbit hole, I I do love that. But the flip side of that, one huge negative that can come out of falling for these kind of catchy titles is that hosts may get into hosting with really skewed perceptions of what profits they can actually make. Don't get me wrong, the profits you can make on Airbnb are unlimited. I mean, really, if you start scaling and you pick properties with a lot of earning potential, the return on investment you can make is 
absolutely insane. The potential is out there for that. But what I hate to see is a host who maybe they saw that there is some Airbnb out in Malibu that's making $10,000 a night. So they go buy a house in Malibu expecting I'm going to make $10,000 a night now. Guess what? Your mortgage on that place is tens of thousands of dollars. That Airbnb can be profitable. I'm not saying it can't, but you need to make sure that you're keeping in perspective what the expenses are of the places that you're considering. So this is definitely one of the important components to consider when starting an Airbnb business. Like I said, when you're starting, you don't know what you don't know, and you have to keep into perspective all of the expenses that are going to come along with certain property types. So don't just get sucked into because, you know, AirDNA is telling you that this specific market is going to make you this much money per night and is booked this much of the year. If you break it down and the expenses are out of your budget and you can't handle them without hitting perfect occupancy every single month, I would highly reconsider getting yourself stuck into that kind of property or that kind of situation. That's the first one, all right? So financials of an Airbnb business, please keep in mind before you jump into an opportunity what the actual expenses are in comparison to that earning potential and the gross earnings the property can make. The second component that you must have a plan in place for before jumping into your Airbnb is understanding all of the legal stuff that goes with it. Permits, taxes, whether or not you need an LLC, what kind of insurance to get, do you need insurance, is Airbnb's air cover enough? All of this stuff you have to have thought through and have a plan in place for it. I'm going to give you one example. I did a consultation with a host maybe three months ago who is a host in Big Bear, which coincidentally is where I host. And we found out that she is advertising self-check-in as an option on her listing. Seems harmless. To most of you listening out there, you're not going to know why this is a big deal at all, especially since I always preach that self-check-in is the way to go. However, Big Bear City Council passed a rule saying that you are not allowed to advertise self-check-in on your listing. I don't have time to get into the whole mindset behind it, but really quickly, their thought process is that when guests check in in person, I guess, and have to see somebody eye to eye and make contact with them, they end up treating the property better. I could go on an entire rant about the BS that I think that is, but I will save that for a different day. Long story short, though, the city council passed an ordinance saying you are not allowed to advertise self-check-in on your listing. If you do, it comes with a $2,500 fine. $2,500 first strike, no warning. They just fine you $2,500 if you have self-check-in advertised. Well, any of you who are out there hosting right now, If you don't have self-check-in checked off on your listing, you know how hard Airbnb pushes you to check it. Every single day that I check my listings, there is a little notification that says, hey, one way to increase bookings is to offer self-check-in to your guests. Do you want to turn that on? I'm not able to because I will get fined $2,500. So back to this host that I did a consultation with a few months ago. 
She's a fellow Big Bear host. And as we're talking and I'm going through her listing, I realize that she is advertising self-check-in on her listing. Immediately, I panic. I tell her to turn it off. We go through her settings. We toggle that setting off. She's no longer doing self-check-in. Good, right? She just saved herself a $2,500 fine. And look, she hadn't been caught yet, which is great. Good for her. I'm glad she got lucky. But it was only a matter of time. And I want to bring this example up because it was such an easy fix to just switch off the fact that she was advertising self-check-in on her listing. But if you're not paying attention to this kind of stuff, all the legal things, knowing where your local city ordinance is, knowing where to check for updates on that, making sure you're subscribed to your city or county STR regulation newsletter so that you're getting these updates, if you don't know about that, you are totally opening yourself up to so much liability and risk. How frustrating would it have been if she got hit with that $2,500 fine for something that took three seconds to uncheck off her listing? All she had to do was go into the listing and uncheck that she offered self-check-in. How frustrating would that be? And she's not the only one. About six months ago, I did a consultation with a host who was hosting in San Luis Obispo. I don't remember off the top of my head how much their fines are, but as we're talking, I realize that she doesn't have a permit on her short-term rental. She completely freaked out, and I told her, calm down, don't worry, let's go through your listing right now, let's go through your city website and find where your permit application is and get this going right now. Until then, snooze your listing, stop advertising it, and let's get this sorted out before your city council catches you and hits you with the fine. Again, I can't remember off the top of my head what the fines were in her city for renting without a permit, but if I do recall correctly, I think it was something like $5,000. So this is not stuff to take lightly. And the problem is that this host genuinely did not know that she needed a permit. And to some of us, that might sound silly. You might be sitting there scoffing at her. Oh my gosh, how did she not know? But to a lot of people who just have a property and maybe they decide to start renting out a room in it or... You know, they just wanted to go in on their first investment and maybe they had a long-term rental for a long time and decided to convert it to a short-term rental. It's so easy to put a property up on Airbnb that it really is possible that you just don't realize that you need permits for some of this stuff. Airbnb has made it so easy and uh, tangible to just take any property list it. All you need is five pictures minimum to officially publish a listing, check off the amenities, pick your cancellation policy, open your dates, set a price, and boom, you're good. So it's really understandable how some people just don't get all of the legal steps you have to take to protect yourself. These were just a couple of examples, but I want you to take this to heart and really take some time to think about, do you have a plan in place for how to get permits in your area? What are the taxes required in your area? Do you pay those or does Airbnb remit them on your behalf? Have you talked to a CPA about getting an LLC? You might need one, you might not, depending on the size and scale and scope of your operation. What about insurance? Have you read through thoroughly what air cover covers on Airbnb? Are you satisfied with that? Do you want additional insurance? Maybe you decide you don't want additional insurance, but your city or county actually requires in order to get a permit that all the properties have to have third-party insurance. 
There is so much that goes into the legality of running a short-term rental business. And I know that this isn't the sexiest topic out there, but there are a lot of really, really costly mistakes that could honestly drive you out of business if you are not paying attention to this checklist of items that you need in order to operate legally. The next component that you have to have a plan in place for in order to start your Airbnb successfully is the design. Nobody listening to this is going to be surprised to find out that you have to have a nice design in order to attract bookings and reservations. But what about making sure that that design is actually functional for an Airbnb? Yeah, guess what? (laughs) Interior design is very different when it comes to a short-term rental than just designing your own personal home. You have to keep comfort in mind. You have to keep logistics in mind. Is the way that you're designing it going to make it easy and efficient for your cleaners to turn over quickly between guests? Is the space laid out in a way that makes it very likely for guests to accidentally damage, knock things over, break things? Or is it pretty spaced out and flowing nicely? What about your dining table? Do you have enough chairs for the number of guests that you advertise on the listings? How about your pullout sofa? If you advertise a pullout sofa, is the other living room furniture arranged in a way where you can actually pull out the sofa? Or is the guest going to have to move the ottoman, the coffee table, a bench, two armchairs, a TV stand out of the way and rearrange your entire living room until they can fold out and pull out the sofa that you advertised as extra bedding? How are you actually going to set this place up so that it's not just beautiful and attracting those guests, but functionally working for them. And finally, when you've gone through all of this, you've made sure that the numbers work out for you, that you're doing everything legally, that the design is going to attract guests and that it's going to work for them once they're there. Once all of that is thought through, the fourth component of having a successful Airbnb is actually talking about how you're going to manage and operate it day to day. Who's cleaning? Who's doing maintenance? Who's doing repairs? Who's restocking it? Have you thought through every single one of these steps? And guess what? Even if you do live locally to your listing and in your head, you're thinking that you're going to be the one who's doing all of this, please think again. You never, ever know if something is going to happen where you are just in over your head. There's a certain repair required that you do not know how to do, or maybe you had a family emergency and you're not able to get to the property. In some cases, you might think, okay, I'll just block it for the night. What if it's already booked for that night and you've got back-to-back bookings? There are serious consequences to canceling on a guest. So you have to make sure that you do have handymen, contractors, repairmen in place for when you can't be there. Of course, if you're remote hosting, this is obvious. You do have to have these different people, part of your team set up, ready to go, trained, understanding your property. But Please keep in mind that even if you do host locally and you think you're going to be the one doing all of this, it's still so helpful and valuable to have a team in place on the days where you can't make it over there because you never know what will happen. So make sure before you start your Airbnb, think through how each of these components, the day-to-day functions of operations and managements are going to be taken care of. Now, if hearing all of that laid out, broken down for you, that freaked you out a little bit, do not panic, reel it in. It's okay. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, the most challenging part of starting an Airbnb is not knowing what you don't know. 
And I'm sure that as I brought up some of those questions and different things that you have to have a plan in place for, it maybe freaked you out a little bit of thinking, wow, I really didn't consider, you know, the permitting process or how to design the place to actually be functional or the fact that there is more to the story than just looking at the sexy gross earnings that I have to consider all the expenses associated with the place. Asking these different questions is going to uncover even more things that you don't know. But that's good. That means we are working towards getting all of these things in place before you launch your listing. Now, guess what? If listening to that whole breakdown of different things has you feeling a little bit panicked, please let me help. If you're listening to this podcast in real time, we are now five days out from the next round of my five-day hosting crash course, which starts on May 9th, Monday, May 9th, and goes through Friday, May 13th. This will be the fourth round of this course that I have hosted, and we've had over 300 students take the course. I specifically designed the five-day hosting crash course so that in five days, it covers all of the basics you need to know to get your Airbnb up and running off the ground. And like we've been saying, the most challenging part of running an Airbnb is not knowing what you don't know. This course solves that problem. In five days, we cover everything that you need to give you that framework, to give you that outline, to give you those checklists so that you can know confidently before you hit publish, before you've accepted your first guest, that you have gone through everything you need to go through and your property is ready to accept your first reservation. I promise you this course is so, so worth its value. If you take away just one tip that gets you an extra booking, gets you an extra night reserved, prevents you from having to give a refund to a guest for a silly mistake, having to pay your cleaner out extra because you set up the place in a way that's going to lead to damages, having to replace items or buy extra items that weren't necessary and actually cause more chaos and clutter, and a tip that might help you avoid paying a needless or senseless fine for not being aware of a local city ordinance or regulation, I promise you this course is so worth its value. Tickets are only $77. We start on Monday, May 9th. If you are listening to this in the future and you missed the May round, don't worry. I do host this course every few months. So hop over to my website, hostwithnatalie.com to see when the next round is. But if you are listening to this in real time in May 2022, please join this next round. Each day, Monday through Thursday of the five-day hosting crash course, we cover one of these topics that I just brought up here. One day is devoted to financials. One day is devoted to all the legal stuff. One day is devoted to design specifically for short-term rental. And one day is devoted to how to operate and manage a short-term rental. Friday, we do a live Q&A so that I can get to all of the questions that you've had from the week. Even Monday through Thursday, I still always wrap up each day with your questions pertinent to that subject. So no matter what, you'll have a chance to get your questions in. And I know for a fact, 300 students have taken this course already and they can vouch you will leave this course feeling so much more confident to launch your listing. 
head over to my website, hostwithnatalie.com. There's a banner up there where you'll see it's very easy to purchase tickets. Tickets are only $77 and we start in just a few days, less than one week. So go sign up today. Do not wait. And I will see you there starting May 9th. Alright, you guys, for this week's Airbnb quick tip, remember that every week this is a quick, easy takeaway, something that you can put into action either on your Airbnb property or on your online Airbnb listing that very same day. These are super easy tips that I want you to be able to put into action ASAP. So for this week's tip, I want to talk about how to add a digital guidebook to your Airbnb listing. What's really cool with this is that this one is actually going to let you kill two birds with one stone. First off, having a digital guidebook on your Airbnb listing actually puts you higher in Airbnb search rankings. It's a super easy thing to add, and I will actually link a help article that will walk you through the steps of how to add this on your listing. This is an article directly from Airbnb's resource center that will show you step-by-step how to add a guidebook to your listing if you don't have one already. Even if you do have one already, I do recommend going back in and just reviving it, making sure it's up to date. A lot of businesses may have closed or changed their hours with the pandemic. So just go back and make sure that it's up to date and you're referencing things that are still open and available. As I was saying, there are two big reasons that I recommend adding this digital guidebook to your Airbnb listing. The first one being that this will put you higher in Airbnb search rankings. Whatever's going on with Airbnb's algorithm, they really do like listings that have a guidebook and they will put you higher in search rankings when people are searching your area. Not just that, but there is actually a way that guests can search an area based on neighborhood guides. For example, if I was planning a trip to Nashville and looking on Airbnb, sometimes I, as the potential guest, instead of deciding to just look through homes in Nashville, I may decide to look up guidebooks if I'm still deciding whether or not I want to go to Nashville or trying to plan the location of where I'm going to stay based on what there is to do there. Well, Airbnb has a section where they will feature the guidebooks of different hosts who have created them. And what's cool about this is that every single guidebook that's created is going to link back to the listing of whoever created that guidebook. So you might get a lot more bookings just if somebody is searching through the guidebook section, they stumble upon yours. Everything that you recommend seems to go along with exactly what they like and what their interests and hobbies are. And based on that alone, there's a very good chance that they may end up booking a stay with you. You may have just convinced them to visit that city if they were on the fence. And now if they did like all your recommendations, they're going to think to themselves, hey, this is a host who likes the same things I do, recommends the same sort of things I'm interested in. Why not book with them? I know we're going to vibe together. I know that this host is going to be a good fit for me. So there's a really good chance you're going to get more bookings from that, again, as well as just the organic uh, higher search ranking placement when people are looking through homes on Airbnb. So that is the first reason I recommend creating a guidebook. But the second is just to help you out uh, when guests whether they are just inquiring, they're already confirmed, they're a current guest, or they're upcoming. Regardless of the situation, when somebody messages you and says, hey, what is there to do in the area? Instead of you having to retype all of your suggestions or copy and paste a lengthy message you have, 
All you have to do is tell them, hey, scroll down, check out my digital guidebook, and it will show you everything that I recommend to do in the city. All you need to do is put about seven to 10 suggestions total. It doesn't need to be super extensive, but a few restaurants, a few bars, maybe wineries or breweries, maybe some hiking trails, really whatever your town has to offer. Highlight that here. Give a good little variety, maybe a dessert place, maybe a breakfast diner, maybe a coffee shop. It's really up to you. You know your town better than anyone else, so don't let me tell you what to include. You guys got this, but again, go ahead, spend a few minutes doing it. It shouldn't take longer than 20 minutes, I'd say, to just go add, um, you know, like I said, seven to 10 different suggestions. Uh, And it's really going to help you out with that higher search ranking, possible extra discovery in the neighborhood guidebook section, which will link back to your listing and it will help you when guests are reaching out. You don't have to keep retyping all of your suggestions, just direct them to your guidebook and your work is done for you. That is this week's Airbnb quick tip. If you do end up creating your guidebook, grab the custom link for it and put it on your Instagram stories. Go ahead and tag me and I would love to repost yours so that we can all just see where each other is hosting from and check out each other's guidebooks. I genuinely would love to see. I'm just always so curious where you're all hosting from. So I would love to see yours. So please, if you create one and end up wanting to share it with your followers, tag me in it. I would love to repost it and we can all show each other and our guidebooks some love. Do I use air DNA? That is what we're talking about this week on our question of the week. I get this question pretty frequently and I have, I have some thoughts here. When it comes to AirDNA, let me back up really quick and tell anyone who doesn't know what AirDNA is. It is a website that basically aggregates all of the data from Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com, Hotels.com, all those different travel sites and online travel agencies, also known as OTAs. Uh, AirDNA will aggregate all of that data and just give you so much information about occupancy rates in your area, nightly rates, uh, seasonality, peak seasons, low seasons. I mean, there's so much more demographics about the travelers there. There's so much information that they give you. And it clearly, as I describe it, I'm sure you guys can imagine all the different ways that it can be a really, really valuable tool. The downside is that when you subscribe to AirDNA, you do get some statistics and some of the numbers and figures free up front, but it's pretty limited what you get to see without a subscription. Once you subscribe, you get to see and unlock all of these different data points. So I get asked a lot, do I think AirDNA is worth it? It's pretty expensive. I think that the price varies a little bit city by city, but that's the one thing when you do get a subscription, it is only specific to that one market. It's not like you just subscribe to AirDNA and you're able to see every single thing, every single city. And these subscriptions can be pretty pricey. I think it's about $100 just per one city. In some bigger cities too, you don't even get to see the entire city. You might only see the east end or the north side. So it's pretty... Uh, restrictive what you're able to see with one subscription. So I get asked a lot, of course, for $100 a month. And if somebody's debating between some different markets and wants to open 10 different subscriptions, do I think that's worth it? 
here's what I'll say. I do think that a lot of these numbers that AirDNA collects for you are going to be really valuable. I I can't dispute that. Of course, having access to numbers like this aggregated from so many different OTAs is going to be valuable. However, I think the biggest problem with AirDNA isn't actually even the cost involved with getting a subscription. I think the biggest problem with AirDNA is that it causes people to just not take action. Every single month that you are sitting out looking at properties, putting in offers, starting the renovations, starting to go into escrow, whatever it is, applying for your permits, uh, you know, starting the design of everything, whatever it is, every single month that you put off is another month that you are losing revenue on your potential Airbnb business. Or even if you're a few months out from hosting because you have some remodels and stuff to do, you're already losing money in just the value of the home going up itself by sitting there and waiting for the perfect market and continuing and continuing to do research market after market, month after month. So to me, the biggest downside actually of AirDNA isn't even a fault with AirDNA itself, but the fact that I think hosts use it as a way to procrastinate and just keep letting fear get in the way of officially committing to something. Here's what I would recommend instead. I say narrow down your search to just three to five markets. If you're starting from scratch and for the first time ever, you're trying to just figure out where to even go with your Airbnb, narrow down to three to five markets and don't use AirDNA for that. You can already do so much research without AirDNA just to figure out those markets. Pick three to five cities that you yourself would enjoy having property in and that you yourself would enjoy visiting. And then from there, just research if they allow short-term rentals. How much are the permit fees every single year? Research those things and you might end up crossing off two cities if you see that they don't even allow short-term rental. There's no reason that you would have needed to open an AirDNA subscription if you can just quickly check is short-term rental even allowed here. So there's still a lot you can do upfront without using AirDNA. Finally, once you're down to maybe three to five cities, start reaching out to realtors, start looking for different properties there. At that point, I think when you finally find a property that you love, right before you put in your offer, go ahead and open a one-month subscription on AirDNA on just that specific market and just quickly use it to just confirm the numbers that you already had done your research on prior. After that, put the offer in and immediately close your AirDNA subscription. I just think that there's so much potential that you're missing out on by sitting there, having these multiple subscriptions open and just waiting for some sort of amazing revelation to come or something to just tell you, this is it. This is the market you need to go for. AirDNA is not going to give you that. All it's going to do is confirm numbers that I think in your gut, you probably already know, or you wouldn't have even considered that city in the first place. Right now, go ahead and jot down three to five cities that you actually would want to host in and would want to own property in. From there, check if all of them even allow for short-term rental, what the regulations are, then start doing some research on, hey, how many Airbnbs are in the area? Does it seem too saturated? And then finally, once you've narrowed it down, open that one-month subscription just to confirm what you think you already know. 
That I think is totally fine, but don't let yourself get lost in the weeds of thinking that you have to verify all of this data and you just have to inundate yourself with all these numbers. One of my favorite expressions is too much analysis leads to paralysis. And I think that sums this up perfectly. Don't let yourself start overanalyzing so much to where you are completely paralyzed and you just don't make a move. Use AirDNA wisely. I trust you. You got this. Open it when you're ready to put an offer just to confirm those numbers and cancel that subscription right after. And finally, on this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, I will be reading to you a post I saw from a host in a hosting Facebook group. And um, not going to lie, when I read this, I had quite the roller coaster of emotions. Started out feeling one way and it ended with very different feelings. So uh, stay open-minded, listen till the end, and let me go ahead and read what this host posted. Again, I don't want to use real names, so let's change this host's name to James. James said, I had a guest check in yesterday. During the booking process, she asked me if she should send me a screenshot of any damages she finds. I thought that was an odd question, but said, yes, please do. She ended up checking in and sent me a message saying, we arrived, we will do a walkthrough and send any pictures of damages. I sent her a response saying, please enjoy your stay, hoping that she was not preparing me for some kind of scam claim. Couple minutes later, she sends a message. The kitchen smells like gas, but the stove and oven are off. I told my wife, I knew this lady was going to be a problem. I'm kicking them out if my maintenance guy doesn't find anything. I send him over. He arrives within 10 minutes, had his gas detector, which recognized no gas leak and all the burners worked. And he said, there's no smell. I called the guest and said, I am not sure what is going on. You stated you were here for a vacation, but from the time you booked, it's like you have been bracing yourself to find an issue before even arriving. Now I send over my maintenance guy only to waste his time. Maybe you need to find somewhere that will give you peace of mind. She started to apologize and stated that her mother-in-law stated she had smelled something and that's why she sent the note and also stated that the last Airbnb she stayed in, the owner tried to stick them with bills for little dings and all that he found after the fact, which was why she was trying to be transparent and do her due diligence. I know there are hosts that charge for a broken glass or a stained towel, etc. Please don't be that host because this is the kind of guest you leave for the rest of us. Some things are just the cost of doing business. Let the guest have a great relaxing trip and try not to nickel and dime them for every little thing. Accidents can happen. Just evaluate if it is a big enough issue. This was truly a nice lady, but her last experience and paranoia almost had me kick her out. In the end, she apologized and I apologized, and I hope they can relax and put their old experience behind them. Parting thought, let's give these guests the best memories we can. They deserve it. Okay, see what I mean about the roller coaster of emotions? I swear when I read that first half, I was sitting there thinking, yeah, kick her out. Oh my gosh, this lady is such a scammer. And by the end, I feel like I even learned something from this host we're calling James. It was such a good reminder that really 
you know, everybody here, everybody is trying to protect themselves to some extent. It's so unfortunate that she really did feel so mistreated and scammed by a previous host. A lot of times us as hosts only see the scams going one way, but there are hosts out there who do take advantage of guests as well. And we have to remember that sometimes when guests come at us in a way that we don't appreciate, it might be because they were burned in the past by another host. So keep in mind that there does have to be mutual trust going both ways between the host and the guest. That's kind of the nature of the whole gig economy, shared economy. And I do think that hosts can lose sight of that sometimes. This was a good reminder even for myself. And coming off of last week's episode where we spent so much time talking about how to not get over emotional when it comes to your Airbnb business and how having too many emotions can literally cost you money. I think this this I think this was just the perfect reminder of that. If he had ended up canceling this reservation and kicking her out, he would have lost the entire pay of that reservation. I don't know how much that would have been. He doesn't say here the amount that she paid or how long she was going to be there for, but he would have lost the entire reservation all because of some fear and annoyance about this guest. And in the end, I'm really glad that he kind of just said what he was feeling and said bluntly, sort of, what are you trying to pull here? And it gave her the opportunity to sort of explain herself and they were able to come to an agreement. Again, I think that hosts, sometimes we just really see the guests as the enemy and that's not the case. There are paying customers and more than that, they're just human beings, the same as us. And this was just a really good reminder. I really enjoyed reading this story. It was just such a good reminder that sometimes just talking to people like they're humans can go so far. So in the end, I am not deeming anyone the asshole here. Um, I do hope that the guest learns from this and sees that there are really good hosts out there who are willing to hear you out and send their maintenance guys quickly and do everything that they are supposed to do. This host sounds awesome. I would totally stay with him anytime. Um, And I hope that the guest was able to recognize that and hopefully see that not all hosts are going to try and screw her over like her previous experience. Uh, So hopefully moving forward, she does start giving her future Airbnb hosts the benefit of the doubt. And I'm just really happy that everything turned out okay here. No assholes here. No Airbnb holes here. Both of you did awesome. The host and the guest. I'm really glad they were able to have that open communication. So again, solid reminder. Even to myself, I felt reading that like I could feel myself getting angry in the first half and I've definitely been there with those heightened emotions. Um, But in the end, just having that open dialogue really resolved everything. So super good reminder and I loved sharing this story and I'm so glad that I was able to find this post to share for this week. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.